Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. I want to welcome you back to the program again today and thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us uh, and watching. I, I trust that you're being blessed by the series that we've been teaching on the book of Hebrews. We're going to get back into that in just a few moments, but I just wanted to mention, especially since we are nearing the holiday season, that uh, you know some of the books, we, we don't really take too much time to talk about some of our products, but if you don't know we have them, uh, you won't be able to get them. But uh, uh, this first book that I want to mention is called The Revelation of Jesus Christ. For those of you who watched us during this time when we were doing the series on the book of Revelation, I believe that you know that this book would be a blessing to you. This book is written basically uh, with the first five chapters of the book of Revelation in mind, and it is dealing with the seven churches that are in Asia, and it is telling those first century churches. I think sometimes when we read the book of Revelation, uh, we read it as if we're the audience he was talking to. When this book was actually written to seven churches, that were really in Asia, and the book of Revelation had to have some relevance to something that would transpire within that first century. So it was written to seven churches that were really in Asia, and it's really what this book is about, is about what the churches had to shift their thinking about, to repent of, in order to enter into a kingdom paradigm or into a new covenant idea. This book will bless you, I believe. And then uh, the newest book I wrote is called From Law to Grace, A Kingdom Paradigm Shift. And this book just came out in April. I believe this is one of the most important pieces of literature that I have written to date. And I'm just going to read the back of it because it probably capsulizes more of what I can say about it. But I believe that this book is so vastly important because it marries the message of grace to the message of the kingdom. And it shows you that while you're no longer under law, that there is another form of government that came on the scene called the kingdom of God, and it is the Spirit-led life. And this is what I wrote on the back of it. It said, the gospel is not about a law you must keep. It is about receiving a life that will keep you. It's not about living this life out of fear. It's about living a life of faith. It's not about rules. It's about a relationship with the Father. The message of John the Baptist and of Jesus is simply this, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is one paradigm shift away. One of the meanings of the word repent is to change your mind. It also means to change one's bent or to turn about. Many times we preach repentance, we preach what we turn from, but we never emphasize what we turn toward. Many have turned from law and religion only to turn toward the bondage of sin, or they have turned from the bondage of sin only to trade it for the bondage of religion. The message of this book is primarily to help you turn toward the present reality of the kingdom of God. The gospel of the kingdom is not just about a ticket to heaven someday. It's about receiving the Holy Spirit that will allow you to live the abundant life as a citizen of the kingdom of God right now. The message of John the Baptist was declaring was that another form of government called the kingdom is coming on the scene and would replace the government of the law. The message Bible says in 2 Corinthians 3, 7-9 calls the old covenant the government of death 
and condemnation. It was the Constitution chiseled on stone tablets, and the New Covenant is the Constitution of the Kingdom and is a government of affirmation. It is written on the fleshly tablets of the heart. It is the government of living spirit. This book will help you turn toward the Lord. When our hearts turn toward the Lord, the veil is taken away. This book will help you make a paradigm shift from law to grace. This book is titled, The Unforced Rhythms of Grace. It is from the 11th chapter of Matthew, where he said, Are you tired? Are you weary? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me, and I'll show you how to take a real rest. I will teach you the unforced rhythms of grace. This book is also uh, so, uh, comes along the line of some of the things I'm teaching from the book of Hebrews. In the back of this simply says, A careful study of Hebrews 4 will cause the reader to conclude that the promised land is more than just a piece of real estate. It's faith in Christ and His finished work that brings us into this incredible promised land called rest. Christ is the fulfillment of all the promises that God made to the fathers in Christ. All of God's promises are yes and amen. It is from the posture of rest that there's a steady outflow of milk and honey. Resting in Christ does not mean that we become spiritual couch potatoes. It simply means that everything that flows from our lives is a result of Him working in us and living His life through us. We are utterly dependent on Him. Without Him we could do nothing. With Him we could do all things. A land that flows with milk and honey is the abundant life on every level. It is the good life physically and spiritually. Get ready to experience the life now as you read the pages of this book. Each one of these books can be ordered for $18 by going to our website or calling that number on the screen. They're $18, and that includes the shipping and handling. Great stocking stuffers, great Christmas gifts, great gifts just for anything. Give the gift of the gospel. Now, coming back to our original text in Hebrews, the third chapter, uh, I'm going to begin to read this because it's going to fit right back into some of the things that I've written in these books. But it says, Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him that appointed him, as also Moses was faithful in all his house. For this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who hath built the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by some man, but he that built all things is God. And Moses verily was faithful in all his house as a servant, for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken after, but Christ as a son over his house, over his own house, whose house we are if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith today, if you hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation in the day of, of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years. Wherefore I was grieved with that generation, and said, They do always err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath they shall not enter into my rest. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. While it is said today, if you hear His voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. For some, when they had heard, did provoke, howbeit not all that came out of Egypt by Moses. But with whom was He grieved forty years? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom swear He that they should not enter into His rest? But to them that believed not, so we see that they could not enter in 
because of unbelief. And I need to go just another verse or two into chapter 4. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into His rest, any of you should keep to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, talking about the children of Israel. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. So the issue again, as we begin to unpack this third chapter of Hebrews again. Last week we talked about, first of all, that in verse 1, we are made partakers of the heavenly calling, and He calls us holy brethren. I think that's powerfully good news because He affirms who we are in the new creation before He comes down through this. Then He makes the comparison, and He says to them in this comparison, Jesus is the apostle and high priest of our profession, and He's getting them to take their focus off of Moses. Remember, everything about this book of Hebrews is about transitioning from an old covenant to a new covenant, from a rule-based to a relationship-based covenant, from a fear-based to a faith-based. And so the emphasis here is put on faith. Faith comes by hearing the Word, and the Word uh, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. But if you go back and put that in, if you have a uh, Bible program, the word uh, God there is the Greek word Christos and could literally be translated this way from uh, the Scriptures. For faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word about Christ. So the more I put my focus on Him, what He did and what He is doing, the more my faith comes alive to be able to enter into this rest. I'm going to tell you, if you're setting under performance-based Old Covenant ministry, you are not going to be in rest. You're going to be laboring and struggling, and you're going to be on a religious treadmill that will bring you to some place in your journey where you will say, I am tired, I am weary, and I am burned out on religion. That's what this book was about, Unforced Rhythms of Grace. Are you tired? Jesus said it like this in Matthew's Gospel uh, from the King James. He said, Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. See, the Christian walk should not be one of constant struggle and fear and got the victory, don't have the victory. It should be a constant, steady flow of milk and honey flowing from a life that puts its confidence and trust in Christ who has taken up His abode within us, where our confidence is not in our own flesh or our abilities to do it, but our confidence is in Him who lives inside of me to be able to do it. I'm reminded of the words of the Apostle Paul when he says, For we are the circumcision, which worship God in the Spirit, and have no confidence in the flesh. Now Paul is not saying that you can't have confidence in your pastor, that you can't have confidence in people. You know, of course, you know, all of those things are volatile as well. But what he's saying there, you know, is that that's not really what the point of what he's making. He's saying, I don't have any confidence in my own abilities. Because what Paul goes on to say, even in Philippians, he starts giving his credentials. He says, listen, I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. I was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel. I sat at the feet of Gamaliel as touching the law. I was blameless, absolutely blameless. But he said, I count all of that as done that I might win Christ and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, 
which is a product of the law, but a righteousness which is a product of the faith of Jesus Christ. In other words, Paul is saying, my confidence before I came into this new covenant was in my own abilities to produce that. For those of you who want to argue about that, I just want to simply say to you, how's that working for you? I mean, you know, we want to put stuff on other people that ain't even working for ourselves. But see, my confidence, I'm not even talking about confidence in other people. My confidence is not in my own abilities. Because I'm telling you, without Him, I can do nothing. But with Him residing and living inside of me, and me looking to Jesus, who is the author and the finisher, it brings me into an incredible posture called rest, where I start to trust in the fact that I am holy brethren, and that I've been made a partaker of His divine nature. Does that mean there's not things that need to change in my life? Of, of course there's stuff that needs to be changed. There's stuff that needs to be changed in your life. But if you could have changed yourself, you would have done it by now. The gospel is not another self-help sin management program. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. The Holy Ghost inside of you and the indwelling Spirit of God is what does the work in us. And when we trust Him, that's what He's, He is pushing these Hebrews to not cast away your confidence. Don't put your confidence in something else, but look unto Jesus. You see, because what He says, what happened was that what they did was they put the focus in the wrong place and they ended up you know, not entering into the rest or being able to call it today. Now, one of the things I want to see and just maybe begin to get this unpacked in this particular segment is that he goes on to say in verse number 7, Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, today, if you will hear His voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation in the day of temptation in the wilderness when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years. Wherefore I was grieved with that generation and said, They do always err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily while it's called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we're made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. While it is said today, over and over he repeats this. Today, today, today. See, a procrastinator is somebody who won't take now for an answer. <coughs> Excuse me. While it is said today, the Holy Ghost keeps on repeating and reiterating. Today, today, today. And he's calling these Hebrews. At this particular, what this calling is, is he's calling them out of an old covenant world, out of an old covenant paradigm, out of Judaism. He's calling them into the new covenant, and he's calling them into relationship with the Son, and he's calling them in to be citizens of the kingdom and to live out of a promised land called rest. He said, don't harden your hearts as in the provocation. For someone they had heard did provoke. Howbeit not all that came out of Egypt by Moses, but with whom was he grieved forty years? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? To whom he swore that they should not enter in his rest, but to them that believed not. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Now, uh, you know, as I begin to look at some of this again, uh, this comparison is to the forty years that the children of Israel came out of Egypt and were heading into the promised land. 
the parallel that is being drawn here again is, as it were, the wilderness journey. But see, what we're seeing is that under Moses, there was a 40 years from the time they left Egypt until the time they came into the promised land. In the new covenant, from the time that Jesus was crucified until the temple was destroyed and the power of the holy people was finally broken and Judaism was finally dismantled, it was a 40-year transition period that the book of Hebrews said the law was fading away. Jesus finished the work at Calvary and met every demand that the law could make, but there was still a 40-year transition. They had come, they were supposedly had come out of bondage and were headed to their promised land. And here we are in the book of Hebrews, 37 years into the new covenant, and he's still admonishing them, don't miss it again. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise be... He's talking to these Hebrews in the first century, and he said, listen, man, you are about to miss it again because this covenant doesn't operate by works. It operates by faith. Amazingly enough, see, the children of Israel, when they came out of Egypt, came out, first of all, on the basis of the Abrahamic covenant. God had made promise to Abraham because the law had not yet been given until Sinai. But they came out based on the Abrahamic covenant. And the Abrahamic covenant was based on faith. Abraham believed God. And it was counted to him for righteousness. And the children of Israel were brought out of Egypt. They were brought out on the basis of the Abrahamic covenant and it was on the basis of faith. But the children of Israel, uh, man, they couldn't hold fast to the covenants. You know, and, and the Scripture tells us then in Galatians chapter 3 that the law was added because of the transgression. Now the transgression could not have been a transgression of the law because the law had not yet been given and the law was added because of a transgression. Now I think the transgression can go clear back to Adam, but the main transgression was, and he's talking about that same transgression here again, unbelief. They would not believe God. I mean everything about this wilderness journey was showing them something of the work of Jesus Christ. Let me just say it like this. When they came out of Egypt, they're delivered by the blood of a lamb. I mean, that's the gospel being preached to them in type and shadow. They saw the type under Moses, but in the new covenant, Jesus is the true lamb of God. In the old covenant, they crossed through the Red Sea. It's a picture of water baptism, and they were baptized into Moses. But in the new covenant, we're baptized into Christ. So they're blood-bought and they're water-baptized. So everything about this is one was a old covenant, natural, literal, fulfillment type shadow picture, and the other was the substance. Again, this whole old covenant shift, you know, I think it was, I, I just yesterday was writing some things in my notes. I said, compare Moses and Jesus. I was thinking through some of the stuff that I wrote in even from Law to Grace about uh, you know, moving from an old covenant to a new covenant. This book here has some of this in it. But I was thinking about comparing Moses and Jesus, and, and, and uh, the first thing I began to think about was, you know, in the Old Testament under Moses, Pharaoh 
was trying to destroy the firstborn of Israel up to a certain age because he knew a deliverer was coming. And so that's why Moses was put in a basket and he was drawn out and kept in the palace. And Pharaoh's daughter raised Moses. Fast forward, here you got Jesus, who also Herod is trying to kill. And he pursues and kills all the firstborn or all the male children up to a certain age, trying to kill the Messiah, always trying to snuff out the deliverer. And so you know the story. Moses went into Egypt. He's raised in the palace of Pharaoh. Jesus goes into Egypt and spends several years there until the death of Herod. And the scripture says, out of Egypt have I called my son. So we see God calling his son out of Egypt, just like he called the children of Israel out of Egypt. And then uh, I put at the red, uh, at the, they, they, then they, uh, they, they, they come out and they cross the Red Sea and send spies to Jericho. And at that point, they, they're called, uh, it is called the provocation because of the evil report that was sent by the spies. So they spend 40 years in the wilderness when they should have been able to spend 40 days in the wilderness. But I got a hold of that and I thought to myself, you know, Jesus came up out of the waters of baptism, baptized by John the Baptist, and he immediately goes into the wilderness, just like the children of Israel did, except Jesus goes in the wilderness and he only has to spend 40 days there. Hallelujah. That's good stuff there. I'm telling you the comparison here is powerful because the picture is he's delivering them from a different kind of Egypt this time. Revelation, the 11th chapter. Verse number 8 says this. It says, For their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. And when I begin, and you probably heard me quote this if you watch my program very much, because I use this scripture a lot. But I read that over and over and over again in many years before it dawned on me. Our Lord was not crucified in Sodom or Egypt. Our Lord was crucified in Jerusalem. But the book of Revelation calls Jerusalem the city which is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt. So for the first time in my life, I begin to see Egypt as not a picture of the world, but as a picture of the bondage of religion under the law of a mosaic system. And God was wanting them to be delivered. Hallelujah. We've been redeemed, folks. But not just from sin. We've been redeemed from the curse of the law. We've been redeemed. Listen, one of the things we've been set free is the tyranny of an old covenant system that put demands with no supply. We've been brought into the kingdom. We've been brought into a better promised land called Christ. I'm not saying it's all right to live any way you want when I talk about being free from the law. I'm talking about what supplies what you need to be able to walk this life is now the Holy Ghost living inside of you. And if the Holy Ghost can't make you behave, all the rules on rocks you want to get are not going to get the job done. So here we are talking about they could not enter into rest because they continued to provoke God to anger. But we see a powerful parallel that while it took them 40 years because they did not believe the report of the two spies and were able to enter in immediately. They spent 40 years, a, a year for every day that they could have went into the promised land. But when Jesus in the new covenant comes up, 
He comes up out of the waters of baptism. He spends 40 days in the wilderness. He comes out in the power of the Spirit. And after he comes out of the river Jordan in the power of the Spirit, again, a lot of this is in this book called From Law to Grace. Immediately in chapter 5, he gives the Sermon on the Mount. Now compare that with Moses, who in the Old Covenant gave them the law on Mount Sinai. Jesus is contrasting that by His coming up out of the wilderness and preaching the Sermon on the Mount, which is an introduction to the kingdom. And He's saying to them, uh, how, He's really given the constitution of the kingdom, <coughs> excuse me, uh, which is the Sermon on the Mount, because He begins to address what is better again about the new covenant than the old. And He tells them, you're blessed. You're blessed if you're hungry and you're thirsty for righteousness because you're about to be filled. When he begins to address that, he's looking at a bunch of people who already think they're righteous on the basis of an old covenant paradigm. But he said, you're blessed if you hunger and thirst for righteousness because you're about to be filled. In the new covenant, righteousness is not based on did you keep every law. It's based on a gift. Because of the abundance of grace, and the gift of righteousness, we can reign in life by one Christ Jesus. And so he's introducing there then the Sermon on the Mount, uh, and he comes out in the power of the Spirit and begins to demonstrate the eyes of the blind being opened, the ears of the deaf being unstopped, the lame man leaping like a heart, and all those are real miracles that Jesus does. But it's also, I believe, a powerful prophetic picture to what He was wanting to do for Israel, and that was to open their blind eyes, to take their deaf hearing and open their ears, to make the layman who could not walk begin to leap and walk like a heart. And so the, the children of Israel wandered for 40 years, and when they came, but when they came up out of the wilderness, again, even at the foot of Mount Sinai, uh, Moses gives them the law. In Matthew 5, Jesus gives them the Sermon on the Mount, the introduction to the kingdom. In the Old Covenant, 50 days after they left Egypt based on the blood of a spotless lamb, they come to the foot of Mount Zion in exactly 50, uh, Sinai, I'm sorry, the mount, foot of Mount Sinai. God gave them the law, 3,000 people dropped dead. In the New Covenant, 50 days after Jesus is slain, they're in an upper room, God gives them the Holy Ghost, and 3,000 people are added back to the church. Because the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. We're going to come back here in the next segment and begin to talk about this a little bit more, but I just want to show you these powerful comparisons. See, we're being delivered from Egypt, all right, but I think one of the biggest bondages and freedoms that's coming to the church is whenever we get delivered and repent from dead works to serve the living God. Well, we're out of time for this week, but if you would take a moment to either call that number on the screen or to go to our website and sow a generous seed into the ministry, uh, it would be greatly and deeply appreciated. It, that is what enables us to take the gospel around the world to the platform that we're doing. We are, there are literally millions and millions of homes that we are broadcasting into, uh, at least potentially through television, and it is your faithful support that helps us to do that. Think about becoming a partner with our ministry and doing that on a regular basis. Don't think, well, my gift is so small that it won't matter. 
Every little bit helps, and we appreciate what you do. You can do it either by going to the website. You can use a credit card. You can send uh, uh, a check to Linhouse Ministries to that screen address, or you can call the phone number. Somebody will take your call. If they're not there, leave a message. We'll call you back. God bless you. Thank you for joining us. I'm very excited to announce the release of my newest book. It is titled, From Law to Grace, A Kingdom Paradigm Shift. In this book, we talk about how the gospel is not about a law you have to keep. It is about receiving a life that will keep you. It is not about living this life out of fear. It is about living a life of faith. It is not about rules. It's about a relationship with a loving Father. It is about moving from the old covenant government of condemnation to the new covenant government of affirmation. It is about living life as a citizen of the kingdom right now.